Welcome to the Generous Business Owner Podcast, where business owners gain inspiration and encouragement to live a legacy, not just leave one. And now your hosts, Jeff Thomas, Alan Barnhart, and Jeff Rutt. Welcome, everybody, to this week's Generous Business Owner Podcast. We have a very special guest with you. I'll announce in a minute, but my name is Jeff Thomas. We've got one of our co-hosts, Jeff Rutt, with us. Jeff, say hello. Hey, everybody. (laughs) And our special guest this week is Casey Crawford. Some of you may have heard of Casey. He is a co-founder and CEO of Movement Mortgage, uh, one of the leading mortgage lenders in the country, and a six-time member of the Inc. 5000 list. Now, here's my favorite stat. He's also the first Super Bowl champion we've had on the podcast. So, KC, welcome to the program. Hey, all we can hope for the uh, the Jeff and Jeff show here is that, yeah, you upgrade your Super Bowl champions. You you, you actually, you have the honor of having the uh, the individual that, that has contributed the least to a Super Bowl championship <laughs> in the history of the NFL, but still got a ring. Nobody asks how many minutes you played <laughs> or how many years. The ring exists. Vigorous cheering. Vigorous support from the sidelines. It counts and uh, more than we've done. So anyway, this is fantastic to have you. We got so much to cover and a little time to do it. So usually the way we start is just by getting a little context. And I think you're joining us from Charlotte, North Carolina uh, now. But where did you grow up? What was that like? And uh, what was your family like? Maybe a little face story growing up. Yeah, sure. So I uh, grew up in and around the Washington, D.C. metro area. So I grew up a, a big fan of, uh, was now I guess, the Washington football, the commanders. What are they now, right? Washington Redskins. When I it was the Redskins. It was. And that was, that was, I mean, that was just a huge part of my life and a huge memory yeah. growing up. My dad ran a little hardware store in D.C., a little True Value hardware store. So some of you guys might remember those. Oh, yeah. Before, uh, before, before those Home Depot and Lowe's guys showed up on the scene. And uh, we, we ran one of those. We were just, just a mom and pop um, business, very blue collar upbringing. And my mom actually ran her own business as well. She did consulting and human resource consulting. So I had two parents that are both entrepreneurs. And so I got to uh, wow. experience and live in living color, kind of the ups and downs of owning your own business. And, and I think like at an early age, that framed a lot of my thoughts kind of going forward because I, I really didn't imagine anything other than owning your own business at some point, right? Because when, you know, that's your reality when you're little, you just kind of think, okay, this is what moms and dads do. They own businesses and it's hard and the family's involved and, you know, there's ups and downs with it. So as a Great child, but I got one little sister who uh, I fought with like crazy growing up, and now she's my next door neighbor. And, <laughs> and uh, her husband's one of my absolute best friends in the whole world. And we had a really close family, you know, gr- gr- growing up. And we, uh, we, you know, kind of did did all that stuff, play together, pray together, and um, you know, just just very tight knit in um, a number of ways. And you kind of mentioned faith. Faith was always a anchored and central point of my family. But again, I didn't. Didn't know anything other than that. Didn't know, didn't know any, any, anything else. Sometimes, you know, I, I used to be really, I got really upset, like in junior high, uh, when people started asking for like the moment you prayed to receive Christ or decide to follow Christ and things. And I looked back at my history and I really, there was not a time that I didn't remember having some sense of relationship with Jesus. I, I just, right. I, I don't, not, not having that in some way. There were certainly times you kind of prayed a prayer, you know, a sinner's prayer or something, but you know, I think I just had a, a, a never kind of maturing maybe view of like my own sinfulness and, 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 and you know, the, the grace received in and through Christ's atonement for that on the cross. And that was, that was a big part of my family. I mean, we were going to be in church on Sunday morning. We were going to pray every night before we went to bed. And, uh, and that's kind of what it looked like. You know, that's kind of what it looked like. And my dad, like said, Hey, he worked six days a week at a uh, hardware store in DC, which is really interesting in the eighties and nineties. Uh-huh. DC in the eighties and nineties, uh, for those of you who aren't familiar, had three times the murder rate of Chicago today. Wow. This is the height of the crack epidemic, right? This is, this is we had Mayor, uh, mayor Marion Barry, who smoked crack on camera, gets busted, gets put in prison, date, gets out of prison, gets reelected as mayor. <laughs> like it was, it was decent. Crazy. It was just a wild place. And again, you don't know what you don't know. You don't know what's not normative. So as a little kid, I, I, you know, I went to work with my dad all the time. My dad was my absolute hero. He's best man of my wedding. And, and I, and I kind of grew up watching a lot of chaos that ensued in and around his hardware store in dc mm. but then i got to retreat out to, to just over the border to maryland to like you said real very blue collar neighborhood but it was, it was it was safe it was calm and there was a dramatic contrast between what i saw in and around my dad's store and what i experienced 
um, in my neighborhood and community. And again, you know, you don't realize these little lessons you're learning, but but that that for sure shaped a lot of um, shaped a lot of my perspective today on on the real challenges for some some kiddos that are born into urban poverty, partic- particularly in just some of our major cities in America, and, and how tough that can be. There's lots of difficulties in America. You know, I'm not saying one's more important than the other, but that's just what I saw growing up. And that's well, what I, think. I mean, we talk about that all the time, and this is you know the generous business owner podcast that that is super relevant to what we're talking about because it's. You know, God uses those experiences we have uniquely. You had a very unique experience that not everybody else had, and you've definitely foreshadowed a story I know that's coming about your passions now and how you're trying to help people in those situations uh, down the road. But before we get to that, all right, you got to share a little bit of the athletic career. Uh, When did that all come along? (laughs) Well, I think, excuse me, kind of of like my faith, I was always a gigantic kid. I don't remember like not being a (laughs) freak. I was, yeah, I, I was, I was. I was four years old or five years old. Like people were asking my mom if, like, you know, there's something wrong with me, you know, because I couldn't speak as articulately as other eight year olds. No, no, he's just four. He's like, he's, right. he's, he's only four years old. That's the, that's the problem. And I was just always a really big kid and I loved sports. I just loved them. I mean, I, I played football and baseball and basketball and soccer and everything else kind of growing up and always had, you know, a whole lot of success really early with those, probably just because I was gigantic. You know, I was gigantic. And, and it was it was a place of connection from from my father and I. My, my mother actually, I mean, my mom likes to she is intense. She's intent that I mentioned that my mother is the one who played catch with me in the front yard. My dad was working. I mean, he came home. It was dark. Like my mom was playing catch with me in the front yard and tackling me. She actually played a game of tackle football in the front yard. And anyone that knows my mom knows that she's far tougher than my dad is anyway. So uh, <laughs> that was that was definitely not the one you want to. Well, pass. you want to give mom props. You got you gave mom props. Yeah, uh, yeah, mom, mom's big props. So yeah, athletics was always kind of part of it, and, and also it was it was a you know a thing I got to experience again being in and around DC. It's a, it's an awesome sports environment. It's a great place to play sports. There's a lot of really competitive. I got to go to a high school um, called Dematha High School. It's a uh, Catholic high school, right in Hyattsville, Maryland, just outside DC. And Dematha at that time was probably you know unquestionably the number one sports high school in America. Like it was wow. just a, a Trinitarian High School, 39 straight years, Morgan Wooten, the head basketball coach, every single graduating senior had a full scholarship. Holy yeah. smokes. 39 years, right? Every wow. if, if you were on the team, you got you were a full scholarship. They also set the uh, Division One record my, my freshman year for the senior class. I think it was like 19 D1 scholarships off one team. Holy smokes. It, it just, it, and baseball was kind of the same way. And wrestling was the same way. It was, it was, it was 700 guys. And, we had we had kids that were whose dads were senators, yeah, and they, and lived in the lived kind of in the power circle of, of, of right. And we had teammates that were in public housing, you know, that we had to call the payphone on the corner to get you know a guy to pick the phone up to run out five flights to get you know one of our buddies to to pick him up for practice. And it was a really really beautiful experience to to be there for a few years, and and just get to, to get to kind of experience man like when you when you strip we all wore uniforms right so we didn't yeah and then we had. Yep. it was no girls it was all guys so we stepped up you were there to get an education and play ball yep and then like what i cared about like when when, when the whistle blew this it was, was who you were on that court or on that field that day you know what kind of teammate are you gonna be are you gonna do your job execute your thing care you know where you came from not a lot of externals there were there weren't that's right yeah. that's right and it was and there's some really great relationships that were kind of formed in that and that again i think you know I don't know that I was processing all this in the same way as a 14 year old as I was a 45 year old, but looking back, it really, um, it, it gave me a, a confidence and a hope that, that, that there are institutions that can create that kind of context environment for let people's, um, to allow people's kind of God given gifts and abilities to rise to the top and create a true meritocracy where, where you really are judged by the content of your character, your ability to perform, not by any real external factors other than those. So. Then I watched a lot of guys, you know, matriculate on to college and then kind of break some cycles that, that at that time in DC yeah. was a pretty hopeless place for a lot of kids that were born into uh, to tougher situations. And I kind of started to see the, um, that institution of education as being a real conduit to, uh, to break cycles of poverty and to actually provide kids for an opportunity to, uh, to get out of some really, really tough neighborhoods and situations uh, in America. And yeah, we don't you, play football at the University of Virginia. Yeah. <laughs> You can see the building blocks is what I was going to say that you can see the building blocks, the, you know, the environment you were in. Always in revert. Always yeah. 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 Of course. You're just, you're just being you, but then, but God's taking you through these experiences that, 
you're able to use later. It's just it's such it's so cool how those pieces fit together. All right, so take us through the football. Yeah, it's uh, so 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 coming out of high school, like I played baseball also. And I really love baseball okay. and uh, and incredible. I mean, again, just and the Lord's been so. I just pinch myself all the time at the incredible people he's brought in my life and the opportunities we've had. But a guy named Dayton Moore was a local bird dog scout, and Dayton was a few years older than I was. And I just really looked up to him. He great faith, and he was a local bird dog scout for the Atlanta Braves. And I committed to go play football for the University of Virginia. And the day I was going to leave for Beach Week, Dayton called me. He goes, "Hey man, I got great news. The uh, Braves, we just moved up the draft board, and Houston was about to take you. We just drafted you." You know, and what? 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 And, you know, I, I, I oh man, I, I have like one big regret is I didn't go sign and try to play for Dayton for a little while in, in the Braves minor league system. Because yeah, I, and I, the truth is, I was scared. I was just scared. I went, I, you know, I was 17 years old and I was, I, I, I kind of had this path in front of me. I was going to go play football at the University of Virginia. I was going to get to play baseball there too. And I just couldn't imagine like making 800 bucks a month or whatever, living in, in Florida with a whole bunch of guys that did a tough road, man. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you can go in there. And so I, uh, I sheepishly, you know, turned down the offer and said, oh, I think I'm going to the University of Virginia and, and did that and went to go, you know, play football and baseball there and, and met my wife and uh, I went through a bunch of adversity like we always go through. And, you know, every, every football player has got a whole bunch of good injury stories. And I'm, I, I've got a few of those myself and kind of went, uh, you know, Mel Kuyper had me going pretty high my junior year if I'd come out. A year later, I'd crack my pelvis and a total dislocated my left ankle. Yeah, just a few kind of surgeries and then setbacks and whatnot. And was was dead set that I wasn't even going to play football. But then my cause, so tired of being on operating tables. I played three games like my senior year. And, you know, kind of like lost like a tenth of a second and 10 pounds every year. That's not the way it's supposed to go, right? You're supposed to get bigger, <laughs> way. faster, you know, older. I was, I was getting lighter, weaker. <laughs> uh, not, not the direction you want your athletic career going. But but really, as I graduated college, I'd met my my now wife there, and she uh, she also likes to for everyone to know that, that, that likes to interview me that she um, was the far more gifted athlete in our household, and there's no argument whatsoever to uh, to rebut or refute that. There is factually correct. Never <laughs> ever said she's like an eight time All American in field hockey, and her you know she had the New Jersey goals record like three times over, and all kinds of stuff. But we were going to get married, and I was going to go and get into business at that point. And, uh, just, man, gosh, one day I just didn't in, in prayer, uh, Lord really convicted me around the NFL and I was done. I was done playing. I was, I was, uh, I, I did not enjoy it anymore. It was, it was, I was sick and tired of being sick and tired and beaten up and broken up and not able to perform. And that morning Michelle came to me, she goes, you know, it was a time you were like pretty good at this and you really loved it. And you know, would, would you, are you sure you're done? Are you sure you're done? I said, yeah, it's funny. You're saying I was praying about this last night and I was really feeling kind of convicted around this, that, that, I, that I, I needed to just go ahead and give it one more shot. And an agent called me that day. They had been telling me, say, hey, Casey, if there's any chance you want to do this, man, like today's the day, like you got to, you, you know, you, you need to, to, to let the combine know you'd still come and you just yeah. put your name in the hat, man, if you thought at all. And then my, one of my best friends at the time called me, same thing, said, hey, Casey, I was just thinking about it, man. I just, just as your buddy, I'm just like, you can always come back and do business, man, but you have like this one window where you could play in the NFL and you've always, like, it's this true. Since I was a little boy, that was, that was my dream, was playing the NFL. And you know, there's one win that we can do that. And when you want to try it. And so I did. And um, I then got my feelings for a big time, got not, did not get drafted, right? Did not get drafted. So, so you know, go from being supposedly kind of a, you know, top pick. Yeah, I knew I wasn't going to go top anymore and really beat up and broken up. But, you know, I still thought I'd go middle rounds or something. And guys were calling all through the draft. Don't get drafted. And then, you know, the agents give you this great line. This is, this is when you know you got a true salesperson as an agent. And Casey, this is great news. This is great. <laughs> Spinning it. Only, only an agent can say <laughs> This is great news. You haven't addressed me. What's so great about this? Just now, they didn't choose you. Now we choose them. What team we want to Yeah. Okay. I'm in. Like, I get to choose them and so we uh we chose i chose like lebron to take my services to uh <laughs> charlotte north carolina play for the carolina Panthers for a whopping i think 2500 bucks um that didn't quite cover the plane ticket or uh you know meals but yeah came down to carolina as a uh undrafted free agent and you know by grace i was able to make the team and shell went to law school awake and yeah our life our life kind of took off from there a little bit we know 23 years later we'd still be calling charlotte home and uh invite the rest of our family to join us down here as well so 
pretty fun journey. Amazing. Amazing how uh, God has those uh, things in store. Well, thanks for sharing that. Jeff, why don't you ask him about the, uh, the next stage? Yeah. Yeah. So take us on the journey, Casey. Uh, what happens next? And yeah, I, I know there was probably some, some more highs and lows. Walk us through some of the highs and lows. Next, next stage of your journey. Yeah, well, Jeff knows I'm in the mortgage business. So like that's kind of inherent with that, our highs and lows. They're like in oil and gas or, or the U.S. mortgage market. You have signed up for highs and lows in life. And I also married a half Italian, half Cuban woman who will tell you that like if we don't laugh and cry in our house every day, we haven't really been living. So like <laughs> I'm deeply attracted to highs and lows, Jeff, I think in all elements of, uh, of my life. And um, yeah, football was no different. So I stayed the that's why I didn't even thought about this as I'm saying this, but I actually had the privilege of being a part of the worst team in NFL history uh, with the Carolina Panthers. So we, we, we set the NFL record for most consecutive losses in the season. And after that season, essentially all of us were fired, right? Like including the head coach and I mean, you know, not surprisingly, right? Ownership because they were, we're, we're going to do something, try something different next year. And you know, I woke up uh, without a job, and then when you when you when you, when you get fired in the NFL, they call it you know, you're, you're released, right? Same kind of with the agents. Your 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 talents are released. Yes, they're your ecosystem. And thankfully, the um, Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, and John Gruden called, and uh, they want to sign me. And that was that was that was fantastic. That's what you hope for when you are released. You hope that someone wants to receive you. So uh, they did, and um, I got to go again. Highs and lows. I got to go from the worst team in NFL history to then that year being a part of a, a, what was a Super Bowl championship team. Uh, and they, they grew and led, and they became he became the youngest coach in NFL history. He won a Super Bowl. You know, amazing season, amazing lessons, amazing experience, amazing contrast from the year before. Um, and it, it actually provided like an amazing opportunity for kind of closure to football in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I kind of early on that like if you had asked me what I wanted to do when I was a little boy it was like grow up playing the NFL I got to do that and I, yeah, I got to play a bit and do some fun things but um, after that Super Bowl game you know kind of told the story a few times but you know I got to stand on the stage and hold the Lombardi trophy my dad was there my mom my little sister and my wife and like I got my arm around my wife and Bon Jovi's on stage playing like it's my life you know and mm-hmm. confetti's coming down and I remember Thinking about, I mean, I just wanted to pinch myself. It's kind of like the Dayton more that I just, I just was like, this is like, praise God. Like you are too good and too generous and too great. Like, I can't believe I'm getting to stand here and experience this Lord. Like what an amazing, profound gift. The incredible generosity of our God. It's like, it's just, it's just, it's overwhelming. And, um, woke up the next morning, was flying back and, and just had this sense of peace that that was it. That was it. That was it, you know, like, like that, that, that was my time in the NFL and that was it. And, and, you know, I, I, I probably could have kept flying and doing, doing, you know, a little bit. My career was not going the way of like Tom Brady, where it was going to last in my forties or something. I, I had to fight for every, every season I was going to get under my belt, but Michelle had just finished law school in Wake Forest. And I said, yeah, that, that, this Hitler, I think I'm ready for the next chapter. I kind of want to move from this, this season of being a part of a team and football, which is sports is really all I've known. And, and I really want to invest my life, Lord, in like making whatever impact I can for your glory, your kingdom, like w- with your eternal purposes kind of at the, at the core of that. And I think, the, I think football and, and sports are great ways to do that. So I, sometimes it comes off as like, I'm disparaged. It's not that at all. It's just that for me, that time I wasn't, I wasn't providing a whole lot of unique value to the world as the fourth string tight end to any NFL team. And I just felt like the Lord, you know, some, some things in calling me in my life to, to do to break more impact. So I was really praying about it. Father just man, lead me, show me what is it that you would have me invest the rest of my life in for, for the maximum impact I can make while I'm still here walking around. And um, through kind of a, a series of things that were probably more directed by my greed than his like providence or his, I think maybe his will, um, I got into real estate, right? And I got into real estate, Jeff, as you know, that's where all the money is made. Man, those guys in real estate make all the money and uh, must don't want to say that was just faithfully following Jesus. I was, was probably more around. These are the guys that I know that have the most money to make it. And I tell you, the, the story, the prolific stories, the NFL locker room of like of like wealth and fortunes made in real estate are uh, uh, they're abundant to say the least. And so I got into real estate and finance, and um, in 2000, and that was going great. That was going really, really well for, for you know four, you know five, pretty good. No six, and then no seven happened. <laughs> 
And here we go back into the lows, Jeff. This is like converts yeah. <laughs> right back into the lows. And I sat and and you know really should have been bankrupt. Got bought out of by got bought out of a couple projects by partners that I really had no business being in. Was upset at the time. Thought they had like bought me out inappropriately. I, you know, um, again the Lord protect the Lord protects fools, I guess, because I I'd have been bankrupt a hundred times over. And I was left, and the only thing that I really had um, of substance in 07 that was still operating that, that seemed to have any kind of viability was this little like two person mortgage operation that was doing mortgages for some builders that were building houses on real estate projects that we were investing in. And, uh, you know, meanwhile, the entire financial world is collapsing and it's really collapsing around the mortgage industry, the U.S. mortgage market. Right? And so the only thing I have that's actually making money and seems like it has a shot to move forward is the mortgage thing. And yet I'm watching the entire world like implode on itself with an economic crisis caused by the, the U.S. mortgage market. And that, that really led me to just, uh, I called a bunch of buddies like you're supposed to do as a Christian, right? Because I kind of knew the rules. And I said, say, all right, you know, I want you guys to pray and fast with me because I'm going go to go to this mountain and decide if I want to start a mortgage company. Because um, I really think that needs to be redeemed in America, right? But that, that sounds like really nice. I think the deeply honest part of that story is that like I didn't have a lot of other options, right? It can support something because I didn't have a lot of other options. And so, but I knew whatever I did, like people were going to ask me at some point if it totally failed, like, well, did you pray about it? Did you fast about it? Did you ask the other guys to pray with you? You know? And so I was like, well, I want to be able to check those boxes, right? <laughs> so we did. And go ahead. It's important. Oh, uh, yeah. No, it, it is. It's profoundly important. I think the Lord used it in a major way. He used it in a way to confirm what he, I think, impressed upon my heart to, to carry, carry, carry out and follow through with. So so, so I left the year to go pray about it. And the, the, the quick version of the story is I'd, I'd been like in a little bit of a disagreement with a pastor the day before because budgets were failing. And I was on our elder committee and I was on the budget committee because I was the only business guy. And, and, I, and, I, and I, you know, we were trying to cut the, the budget and to stretch dollars because we were going to run out of cash in like 90 days. That was, that was what was going to happen. And I, I essentially asked the pastor and I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to, it was, wasn't intended as a mean spirited question. But I asked the pastor, hey, how much do you really need? I mean, how much do you really need? Because like, we only have so many dollars. And how much do you really need? Because like, we got to stretch. We got to stretch these dollars. And, and you know, he, he didn't receive the question. You know, he, and, and I can understand at this point, like why he, he, he did. It was, a t- it was a tough question to ask in a tough way, but I didn't mean it in a mean-spirited way, but it became an argument, right? Because tensions are high. It's money. It's, it's super stressful. And I was driving. Um, that was the night before I was supposed to go drive to and decided whether or not I was going to start this new company. And I was driving to have this day of prayer up on the mountain. And all I could meditate on was like this guy. I'm like, I can't believe you would ask that question. Yeah, I'm, I'm supposed to make this, but I need to make this much because I have a PhD and this and that and the other. And I was just really sitting like in judgment of my brother. And man, it was about that time that thought crossed my mind. I just felt like the Lord hit me with like a left hook. And uh, I said, you think, you think he's wrapped up in money? You think his motivations are askew? I was like, how much do you really need? Maybe look at that log in our eye, right? I've been there. Mm-hmm. I, I, God only talks to me when I'm in the middle of judging someone else. Like, <laughs> right, right. And, <laughs> and I mean, yeah. And then I did like the really smart thing as I started like arguing with God about it. <laughs> how much do I need? I'm an entrepreneur. It's not about how much I need. It's about how much I can create. Like, I think uh, I can raise <laughs> It was so convicting that I started flailing like a little kid who'd been caught with his hand in the cookie jar. You know, oh, oh, I was getting it for my sister. I don't know. You know like, I was just, I was just, just um, you know, business person. He's called to the pulpit. I'm called to the marketplace. It's totally different. You know, all these, all these excuses and this. That's kind of Lord pressing. Don't you dare try to hold him to some standards you would never hold yourself to. How much do you really? You know, you're saying all that you want to build a business that's from my kingdom, not yours, and my glory, not yours. Like that, that's that's not true. You've been giving me a tip, you know, you, you, this is a hundred percent about you, your fame, your pride, your glory, what you want, what you want to achieve. It, it's not, it's not about me. So don't like, you know, don't, don't pander, don't lie. Don't, don't say that because it's not, I, I mean, it was so convicting. I just, it was so wow. deep through. Yeah. It was like, I felt like I was having like open heart surgery while I'm driving. I'm like, man, I'm not even at the mountain yet. This is not supposed to be happening yet. Wow. And, um, yeah. And the Lord just really crushed me with that. And it, I mean, it's, it's funny to talk about now, 15 years later, but it, it really hurt, you know, it really hurt at the time. I mean, I was, I was upset and I was mad and I was kind of going through like the cycle of grief. Like again, this low point, 
And it's been an amazing, it's one thing to talk about 15 years later, but like, man, yeah, in the moment, right. I was like, this is not what I wanted to hear, Lord. Like, I, yeah. I have no interest in living a life that's only about like what I need, not what I want. Like, that's not, yeah. I, I, was, I was just really processing all this stuff. And again, to speed the story, I've really got convicted that, that it was called to, to start a, a business, to start a, a bank, a new kind of bank. And it was going to be about God's glory, his kingdom, not mine. And that I needed to figure out how much it was that I needed. And then the Lord wasn't asking me to go live in a cardboard box or, you know, kind of swear a vow of poverty. I didn't, I didn't have that sense at all. And I didn't have that sense. This sense was like a calling for everyone or anything either. I actually had a defensive sense. This was something particular to me. Um, but, but, but the idea was that, hey, go, go build this thing. And it's about me and my kingdom, not you and yours. You know, and, and yeah, yeah, I know you've been tithing and whatnot. That, that, but you've been giving me that as a tip. That's never really been sacrificial. And that's true. That was always true. I mean, I came out of college and got to go play pro football. Like, you know, we just, it, it was, it was, it was, I, when I tied, I mean, this is all public stuff, right? So I was making $250,000, I think as a rookie, right? It's NFL minimum. But I got to tie like 30,000 bucks, like, you know, 12% or so, right? Like tithing then a little bit all the time. I think my dad like made like 30,000 bucks when I was growing up. And so to me, oh, that was the most incredible thing. I, whoa, $30,000 I gave. And, and I remember, um, you know, just, just kind of like that, that in no way changed anything about our lifestyle, right? It was, it was, it was, it was easy. It was joyful. We were happy to do it, but it was, um, yeah, shockingly, God was correct in his assessment of, uh, <laughs> so yeah, so we started the start of business and we said, all right, Lord, I'm going to go do it. And it was kind of like, go into the land. I'll show you. I mean, we had no idea like what that looked like, what it meant for God's kingdom, not mine. I mean, I'm still trying to work that out this day, but, um, we did. And we said, Hey, you know, if we're going to do something, let's, let's do something different. Let's do something like there was 5,000 banks and mortgage banks in America. The world didn't need one more. Uh, um, let's try to go put a unique and different market. So we started with four employees in 08. And um, I mean, as meager as you can be and as fledgling as you could be as well. And it was setback after setback on the journey. But but God's been just incredibly faithful. And yeah, it's been a neat, 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 neat 15-year run. Yeah. Well, take us through, uh, Casey, so many... Uh really really interesting parts of your story but take us through the the uh the time period when when you transferred your stock to ncf give us give us the road from yeah uh, Yeah. from that starting with four employees in 08 to you you know your success and then yeah what what we're still so we're still transferring stock yeah we're still we're still transferring stock we basically you know we, we we take full advantage of the u.s tax code to make sure we uh we, we we love our I love our nation I love our I'm, I appreciate our federal and state governments and we we think they have more than enough money um, and so so we, we we give them what they're owed and then we try to think about how we can steward the rest of it in really effective ways to uh, invest in the country so um, yes yeah, so early on it was that the, the the same vision right his king not my mind and so I I heard uh, your co-host Alan Barnhart somebody finally sent me a a little clip of Alan in the back of a church you know it was like it was like it wasn't even an iPhone iPhones didn't exist this was like a GoPro. I don't know. This is something they, you know, at a camcorder of Alan in the back of a church. And he shared on the way Barnhart. Yeah, Crane, and I've thanked Alan a bunch of times for it. Um, man, what, what, a, what, a, what a pioneer and leader. So appreciate his story. And when I heard his story, I went, that's it. That's exactly what I want to do. Well, it was, it was really kind of, he, he kind of helped articulate the mechanism. Like I knew what I wanted to do. I wasn't sure the most tax efficient way to do it. And I, I heard National Christian Foundation. I went, great. So I went 800 National Christian Foundation. And um, the guy that picked up the phone was a guy named Dan Glaze with National Christian Foundation. And um, Dan's just an incredible brother. He's, I mean, I talked to Dan yesterday. You know, he, he is just an amazing brother in Christ for the last 50 years. But that started the process. Really, I mean, it was, it was, it was, and I told Dan, this is what I want to do. And I, I told Dan also, you need to get a lot better call screening because like we were not worth the drive from Atlanta to Charlotte um, in those early days, but, but he, he did that. <laughs> And then we kind of set up a plan in place to um, uh, figure out how we could could max out our tax savings every year. Which, which interestingly, a lot of folks have asked, like, how'd you never take on outside capital? How'd you never take on investors? Have you grown? You know, we're about a five thousand person company. We'll fund probably thirty billion dollars in mortgages. We do about one of every sixty homes in America now. And so it's been a it's been a really fast, like, quick ride in that way. And typically, with something with that kind of velocity, you're needing to take on outside capital to do it. Um, one of the primary reasons we didn't have to take on outside capital, and it's so interesting, the Lord's provision, was because we had such a low tax burden because we had gifted, we were strategically gifting the stock in the early days, right? That actually yeah. created more cash for the business, not have to take on investors, able to keep it, you know, privately held and, and then keep that focus and things. So it's like, 
I mean, the Lord's just so interesting in the way he provides what feels like a sacrifice at one point of time. When you look back in the journey, goes, wow, that was actually the provision. Like that was the provision yep. thing that allowed us to, to do what we've been able to do and accomplish was just, just, and it, it seemed harder at the time. Like I would have gone, yeah. no, this isn't a good plan. This isn't a good plan. Like it's almost harder. Yeah. So talk a little bit about that. Cause our listeners, there's a lot of listeners out there who have donated stock of transferred stock uh, through NCF and others. Uh, but there's a lot who have not. And I think sometimes there's this fear that things are going to be different. Think this is going to be so hard. Uh, and I'm going to, there's, I'm going to lose something. So yeah, talk, talk a little bit about what that was like before, during, and after. Uh, yeah, some of the- I totally appreciate this years. Had them myself and yeah, <laughs> but n- no, yeah, it's probably worth a whole separate, you know, show that I'm sure you, yeah. I'll, I'll first of all make this, uh, this is a passion of mine. So if people have questions for me about our story, our strategy, like Jeff, you and I, I talked early on when you were processing some of this stuff too, Alan yeah. was helping any listener that wants to, to get our game plan, man, we'll show you everything. We spent a lot of money on really good tax attorneys and things, make sure we do it right. And we're happy to share all that in depth. At a macro level, though, NCF is a, um, a beneficial owner of movement mortgage ownership interest and non-voting share of economic interest to in movement mortgage. And because they are, you know, tax the well, we're going to start getting super tactical, but effectively, right, it lowers our tax rate, so it lowers the amount we have to pay on the taxes that accrue based on our earnings, and there is zero impact whatsoever on my ability to make decisions, to lead the business, to guide the business, to um, manage in every way, shape, or form. Uh, we simply have, a, you know, we're, we enjoy a much lower tax rate than others, and income accrues to a um, you know, donor advised fund, a supporting organization that we then use to give. And we actually have invested some of that money into other Christ Center businesses also. So that there's, there's a ton of flexibility with, with, with the structure. There, there are profound tax advantages with the structure. And for folks who are founder owners or that are running their business and don't want, you know, kind of bifurcated ownership interest or uh, people speaking into the business that they're going to maybe pull the course and direction it is a fabulous structure, I think, yeah. for that founders to continue to lead in ways that they feel led you know, by the Lord to do so. So it, yeah. it's profound. So JC, yeah, I want you to talk a little bit more about that, but I don't want to lose this, this concept of, you know, it's just, it's a biblical concept of when we open our, when we had that open hand mentality and, and, and our hearts are, are open to, to, you know, freely let go. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, it, it, God blesses that in so many different ways. And there's a lot of joy in, that process. And like you said, there's zero, I, I haven't talked to anyone yet who said, wish I wouldn't have done that or, or wish I would have waited to do that. So similar. And thank you for your guidance through, because we, we went through a similar process and then we had to talk to you and others, you know, Alan Barnhart and others. Yeah. And I wanted to though, just talk a little bit more about what you've been able to accomplish now. And I know we definitely need to do a separate podcast. And by the way, Jeff, we need to put in the show notes the how to contact Casey on on his game plan because there's a lot of rich material and content there. Uh, but Casey, talk a little bit about some of the things, incredible things that you've been able to be involved in in being generous there in Charlotte and beyond. Yeah, this this is maybe where those building blocks you were describing growing up manifest themselves in your giving. We'd love to hear more of that. Yes. Yeah. And. This is all has to be so fun. Uh, I hate to short any of these stories because they're, man, we just, you know, watch God move in such powerful ways. Love to share them with the listeners because it is true, man. On Gosh, on the, on the other side of freedom from some of this stuff, and I still, I listen, I, I, I wrestle with this every day. I wrestle with it every day that, you know, oh, this is mine. What do I have? What can I say? All of us do. Holding, holding it with open hands. So I, I, I would never want to give folks the impression this is about all that is over in my life or something. But I will, I will tell you that I'm reminded every day. I remind myself every day of just being God's incredible goodness and generosity. And then what he has allowed us to see and experience and take part in. It's all, it's just almost ridiculous, right? Like, like the, <laughs> like the new life that we all have in Christ, right? We all, oh, we're going to like, we're going to surrender our life to Christ. Like, no, no, no. Like, like, man, like my life is not worth living without Christ. Like, like it, it just, just, it, there's so much more, more life on the other side of that. I think there's just so much more life and joy on the other side of like, it feels funky to me even call it generosity because like in a selfish way, I'm just so eager to like, see what God, God's going to do next. It was like, you know, we, we kind of get the privilege of, of you know, doing a, a small part of partnering with him in, in his plan of the world. So 
So yeah, you're running a business that's about your kingdom, not mine. And how do you do this, man? And I think for, first thing for me was like, man, how do we like love our team members really well? Right. And like, and they, I don't want to give profits until we've like actually loved our team members pretty well. And, 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 and gosh, we, we've just seen so many incredible stories there, but we did a benevolence program. We called it love works where any team member in times of economic crisis had a pool they could pull from that was employee funded. And, you know, people that are, we, our company looks a lot like America. So whatever the, the, the kind of faith makeup of America is, that's what moving mortgage looks like. We have 5,000 folks from just all kinds of walks of life, all parts of the country, you know, you name it. And I, we love that, man. I love, my life is so much richer because of the breadth of diversity of folks that we have inside the company. And, and, and one thing we said is, I mean, we want to be a community. Our, our core mission statement is we exist to love and value people. And that starts with one another, our teammates. And so we, that Love Works program is one that all of our employees, I said not all, about 75% of our employees contribute to. And some portion of it, wow. sometimes it's a dollar. We have employees that contribute $10,000. And um, any other teammate in a time of economic need has a pool of capital that is there ready and available for them to help meet that need. And they also have, we have five counselors on staff that are paid for out of that pool of capital, totally funded by the team members. I'm an employee myself. I, you know, I, I give to it, employees fund it. And we give about 400 grants a year, about 2,500 bucks each, about a million bucks a year to team members in times of real dire economic crisis. And it's one of the most beautiful things that we get to do as a community. We felt, we felt moms bury, you know, kiddos that, that have been killed. There's not money for a funeral. We felt families, you know, when houses are burned down, like we, we, we've been able to like love one another. Um, when those moments of crisis that inevitably hit do. And I think a lot of our folks in our community just know it's, it's, they may not know what's going on, but, but man, every team member knows that they're part of a community that is given to a safety net that any of us are in dire suffering and we've already provided for it. And I love that. I think it's a way of kind of expressing God's grace and generic love for us that maybe we don't always even think about or appreciate, but just kind of exists around us. I think that speaks to even our teammates who Maybe don't share my same hope and faith in a God, right? But the, but I don't have we don't have a single teammate who doesn't go, hey, I don't think that program's a good one. But yeah, I wish we didn't have that. Like everyone loves loves this concept of loving one another, caring for each other. And then we try to think a lot about a lot of ways to you know, be generous. You know, the kind of things that, that I think Jeff, you want that I want that we want for our kiddos, right? How do you be part of the community that like actually helps you thrive in life? Like, yeah, I want to be there when life falls off the rails. Man, how do I? I want to thrive. I want I want to grow. I want to you know, in every way, emotionally, physically, spiritually, professionally, and so we're still working this out and learning from a ton of folks, but we've tried to put together a lot of programs that help our teammates do that. And uh, we have life coaching and life plans, MOOC with mentoring group. We had John Maxwell coming to write a lot of leadership curriculum for us. And um, man, last year we had, uh, I think 3,000 of our team members go through uh, MOOC with mentoring groups. Um, and and you know, in the church, we probably call them small groups. You know, we call them discipleship groups or something. Um, yeah, that, that language is really foreign to most of America. And, and, and so we, we like to, man, we like to engage people where they are. And, and, um, so yeah, we have mentor groups. I, I actually, I, I've also never had anyone hit me up on LinkedIn or Facebook and ask me to disciple them. Um, I, I, I get a request for mentoring once a day, you know, Hey, would you mentor? And so, so, you know, we, we, we say, Hey, listen, if you want to be mentored in life, you want to get some, some guidance in like how to have a successful life. We got some great material for you. We're going to process it together in community with each other to hold each other accountable, to encourage each other. And that's been really, really beautiful too. Like watching teammates come alive in that. We've, we've got debt-free challenges. We had, we had a challenge. We helped each other pay off debt. We paid off four and a half million dollars of credit card debt in the company. We had increased savings by a million and a half bucks and fun challenges like that, right? You're doing life in community around topics um, that are really around human flourishing and thriving, you know, in life. And I think the workplace is like the most fertile field for, you know, life on life impact from people that are really um, maybe, maybe even opposed to church have, have had bad experiences with Christians of the church, man, you can engage them in the workplace and love and get in relationship with them in such powerful, meaningful ways. And I think we were all so much better for that. But then finally we kind of said, Hey, if we loved each other, well, man, we want to love our customers well. And, um, if we've done that and created a profit, man, how do we love the communities we're a part of? And how do we kind of, how do we, how do we be a company, man, that if we didn't exist in that community, the community would mourn a little bit. And man, I wish, you yeah, know, wish they were still there. And so. Lots of ways to do that, but, but I think some probably based on my experience, the education thing and seeing like the issues in the urban um, inner city and in the space we sit, we, we essentially, we help Americans buy homes. That's, that's fundamentally really what we do is help Americans experience the dream of home ownership. And um, one of the biggest and most broken places in our country 
is um, minority kids born to poverty. Um, in Charlotte, North Carolina, 98% of kiddos that are born into poverty will die in poverty. They won't break that cycle in their life. 98%. So imagine being a mom and um, yeah, you have your, 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 your baby, and you know, 98% likelihood that they're going to they're gonna live a life just as difficult, just as hard as mine. I'm living, you know, at it. I'm living below the poverty line. And um, we looked at the largest statistical correlate to, to getting out of poverty. And interestingly enough, it's whether or not the child can read in third grade. So it's not, it's not their diet, not even their housing, not housing stability. It's whether or not that kiddo can read in third grade. Uh, it's the largest statistical correlate to a kid breaking poverty, the cycle of poverty in their lifetime. Um, kind of right alongside that, the, the biggest wealth issue we have in America, the biggest issue we have in home ownership is the disparity between black and white home ownership rates. The black community is experiencing lower home ownership rates and the larger disparity between black and white home ownership rates than when redlining was legal. That when, you know, before Jim Crow laws had gone into place, right? When it was, when it was legal to explicitly discriminate on the basis of race. And there's a larger gap today between black and white home ownership than there was to them. And so we, you know, we sit kind of in this industry and we go, Hey, if we're going to sit in this, sit in this industry, what are we doing actually to solve some of these broken places, to redeem some of these broken, hurt places in our nation in a way that makes sense and creates kind of maybe a holistic and virtual, virtuous cycle. I kind of think about, you know, Jeremiah 29, right? Where it's, you know, the city rejoices when the righteous man sits on the throne because like, the blessings are kind of overflowing out into the city, right? And you're actually creating systems of justice and opportunity. And, uh, and that's what we want to be about. Like we want to be about taking the platform God's given us, man, and, and thinking about how we can fix and, and, and redeem some of these broken places in society. So we said, wouldn't it be cool? Wouldn't it be cool if a bank started taking all of its profits and pouring it into a part of the community that right now isn't even on a financial track to become a customer or client, right? Um, most banks, you know, they're going to name a stadium or they're going to do some fun things. And then that, that can make sense from a marketing standpoint. We're like, wouldn't it be neat if our marketing was actually do a part of the constituency right now that isn't on track to even have a bank account, much a savings account and definitely not own a home. But if we can start pouring into that part of the community, right? If we can start to, to improve their education opportunities and help them express the incredible gifts that God's given these kiddos, maybe in a generation, we can help start breaking those cycles of poverty and let those kids experience what it is to own a home and build wealth, build stability in America and tell a new, bigger, better story for banking in America. So we kind of pioneered a new concept called impact lending. The, the, it's, it's lenders that are dedicated to giving at least 10% of profits back in the communities they're a part of. Um, in some redemptive way. And for us, that's looked like building a series of Title I charter schools that are focused on the most marginalized kiddos in the biggest urban core uh, right now in the Southeast. And so we committed a billion dollars um, over the next 10 years, put $500 million out you know, to, to kind of seed the fund, and we'll put another 500 over the next eight years into the fund to uh, build 100 schools that are going to be exclusively focused on serving some kids that right now are on a trajectory to make, break the cycle of poverty in their lifetime. And Five years in, we have six schools up and rocking. Our kids, depending on the school, you know, our kids are having 200 to 300% better academic results than their demographic peers. And, it, and it's growing every year substantially, 20, 30%. And, you know, the, the, what we really want to accomplish with that, Jeff, is, is not, you know, 100 schools will never be enough. 100 schools won't be enough for, you know, two states, for, 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 for the kids in poverty in two states. But what 100 schools will prove out, first of all, is that these kids are just as capable just, just as valuable, just as gifted, just as able to accomplish academically what whatever kid um, born into wealthier neighborhoods and suburbs is, and that you can actually educate these children um, much more effectively than what's being done right now in the the mass public school systems that are filled with wonderful people, but they are broken bureaucratic structures that waste a profound amount of money. And so we operate on sixty five cents in the dollar that these um, larger kind of public uh, traditional public school systems. They were, we are a tuition-free public charter, teach a state-approved curriculum, and our foundation owns the building that these schools exist within. And so nights and weekends, we're allowed to do faith-based uh, programming and um, you know, initiatives for the entire community. We keep our schools open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, just to be a blessing to the communities we're a part of. And yeah, our, yeah, our hope is that over the next eight years, we really change policy across America to to create school choice and a diversity. We, we're free market people. You know, I really believe a free market, a capital market is, is a good thing, creates competition and creates better results for the consumers. I think the kiddo is the consumer, you know, the parent, the kiddo or the consumer, and they should have a choice and people should be competing for their business. Um, right now, schools, you, you don't compete, right? You go to the bus stop that's ever near your house and it takes you to the local school. And by and large, those local schools are failing our kiddos. And so- we want school choice to be a reality across America. And we want to prove out that when you create competition in these marketplaces, 
kids get better results. And, and that's the contribution we want to make. And then hopefully, you know, these kiddos grow up to become homeowners themselves, take hold of the American dream like many of us have. And uh, man, our, our community, our nation is richer and stronger for 20 years from now. And the parallels between what God took you through as a young man and, and where he put you now, I'm, I'm even thinking of the customers your dad had at the hardware store, yep. the same customers you've got today. Okay. Yep. And, uh, and then he, he sends you to an amazing school uh, where you saw the benefits of, uh, of an amazing education that was maybe not the traditional path, but you benefited from that. And you live in this neighborhood, you, you have a business where it's all kind of people. I mean, it's just, you're, you play a team sport. And then the way you even call your staff team members and the way you take care of each other, the way you try to be a good teammate and teach them to be good teammates or give them the opportunity really to be good teammates. Like the parallels in your life are, it's stunning and, uh, and, and really stark, man. So thank you for sharing that. And it, you know, man, we could go for hours, be honest with you, Jeff, right? We'd be yeah. do this again, but, uh, we do. We, but to wrap it up, that you want again? Yeah, but to wrap to wrap this <laughs> But to wrap this up, you know, we always try to ask a practical tip. But again, this isn't what any of us are doing for a living. We're all in this journey of just trying to, you know, ask God what He wants to do with the businesses He allows us to steward. And we got a lot of people listening to this, you know, walking on the treadmill, or riding in their car, going, "Man, I don't have that kind of money to do anything. Interest rates are rising. <laughs> Who knows?" Maybe they got two people in their mortgage company and they're suffering yeah. right now. I don't know. Been there. Yeah. But uh, but at the end of the day, you know, they're just trying to follow God's will. And uh, sometimes, you know, the, the breadth of these stories can be overwhelming. And we try to just go, okay, how do we eat this elephant one bite at a time? So what would be maybe just a practical tip, something that they can do when they wake up tomorrow uh, that's just a step in this direction of thinking a little more about their stewarding their their business in, in a little better way well first of all man i, I just tell you any, any any entrepreneur business owner out there that that is listening man i love you my heart's with you i i have my again i, I grew up in a, in a in a household with two two parents who were each running separate businesses that and we had a lot of those conversations hey it's gonna be it's not gonna be a real big christmas you know yeah <laughs> I remember it seemed like every year we had like a like two weeks before Christmas. Hey guys, just so you're aware, like, you know, Santa, Santa's a little lean this year. Ha hammer sales are down. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I like selling, selling 10 penny nails. I mean, yeah. <laughs> stuff. It's tough. It's, it's, it tough. Is. it's the, but, but I also think like, yeah, our nation and, and the incredible, the incredible things that have been created in our nation have, have been by and large created by entrepreneurs. Yeah. You know, they've been created by entrepreneurs and men and women who have had you know, a calling, a courage to step out and, and solve a unique problem in a unique way um, in, in our world. I think as entrepreneurs, you know, we're, we're, we're compensated for solving problems, right? And, and the more unique and more creative and, and, and uh, the more profoundly well you can solve that problem, the more the market you can aggregate sometimes. And so I, I, I think my, my, I hope my encouragement, the thing I keep trying to tell myself each day is, man, that, that the Lord made each one of us completely unique and he didn't, doesn't do replicas. Right, there's a calling. He's going to give us unique opportunities, unique relationships that only we have, and only we can steward. And, and so, man, how do you step into those with, with, with an appreciation for like, man, this moment, this conversation, this business opportunity? It's uh, it's one of one, and Meg, I can glorify God in it and, and do it with courage. Right, the world didn't need another moving mortgage for sure. Right, it doesn't need another replication of like, what, what would each, now we can all learn so much from each other, be inspired like I was by Alan Barnhart and, you know, and, and others. Um, there's so much we can learn from each other, but then take like what we learned. I mean, go make that unique impact on the world that God's called you to make and do it with boldness, do it with courage. And I just say, like, I would rather go down swinging. If we all like really do believe in this eternal heaven that will exist within, that we believe this life is a vapor and a mist. I mean, my gosh, let's act like it. Let's act like it, right? Let's go, you know what? We might have to have a beer in heaven and laugh at the fact of all these big, crazy the mistakes that we made on the journey. But man, we went down swinging and we went down trying to glorify our heavenly father, trying to live out this calling of loving God, loving people, you know, and trying to do it in the unique way that he gifted and equipped and positioned us to do so. I think, man, the world's a more beautiful place when that happens, right? I love 
the breadth and the beauty of the world. I mean, Jeff's solving problems around the world that, 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 that you know, I'm, I understand like a fraction of, but like just knowing him and seeing him run hard after that inspires me to, to, to live out the calling that I feel like Lord placed in my life. that's very domestic, you know, it's very domestic and it's local and it's in, in urban areas and things. And so I, I, I just think, man, the, the, um, the Bible and Christ of cheering each other on, inspiring each other, um, yeah. Towards good works, the Lord's call us to uniquely and individually, and not and not being afraid to like step out a little bit, man. Like fail stepping out, like right. It's just, what's what's the big loss here? I think Satan kind of like, wins these battles, whispering all of our ears that like, oh man, you'll look like a fool. That'll be so silly. People will make fun of you, and and I, and I fall prey to it every day. I fall prey to it every single day, and so I, I try to tell myself that man that like let's go live out this unique calling god's given us man let's go down swinging and trying and i i think i think the world be a more beautiful place we, we'd be more encouraged by the body of christ we spent less time critiquing one another critiquing those <laughs> that are maybe in the world and we started kind of living out the calling that god placed on our life so in football yeah. terms we're saying instead of playing prevent defense let's blitz yeah and and, and and maybe maybe get out of the stands and get the game like instead of yelling out we'll throw in your man yeah. popcorn and you know, talking about coaching. How about how about how about you throw on throw throw off some shoulder pads and jump out there for a minute, and then see how many complaints you have about how the game's being played. All right, get in the ring, Jeff. Rowe, we got we got to use offensive examples. Sitting in the stands and commentating is a very 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 safe place to be. Get on the field with uh, Julius Peppers and see how you feel about like uh, locking down the left side. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you start to have a lot more grace all of a sudden. The guys that are out there, you know. <laughs> well, there's a lot of verses in the Bible about uh, having a spirit of not having spirit of fear, you know, uh, but a boldness. Be strong, Be strong and courageous. And and then I think also your story is a great reflection of what has God maybe reflecting on what has God uniquely taken you through? You know, just, just like your story reflects that. What Just reflecting on that and praying about that. And, and I, God will reveal something unique. So, uh, well, listen, Jeff Rudd, thanks for being with us again today. And Casey, can't thank you enough for sharing your wisdom. Uh, this was really a lot of fun. It'll be a blessing to many people. So much fun. I appreciate you guys. And uh, man, I certainly appreciate all the entrepreneurs who are out there listening, going for guys. Love y'all. All right. Uh, thanks everybody for joining us on this week's Generous Business Owner Podcast. Leave us uh, your uh, ratings and reviews and uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Generous Business Owner Podcast with Jeff Thomas, Alan Barnhart, and Jeff Rutt. Make sure to follow the podcast so you don't miss an episode. You can find the guest contact information in the show notes. Stay tuned for the next episode.